And welcome back to another episode of the Hero Ball Podcast. I'm Richard Davison, and I'm joined by my good buddy, Ethan Huffman. Now, Ethan, we are getting close to the time where, where we'll eventually get to talking about some playoff teams. We're not quite there yet today. Not yet. Even though the, the play-in is upon us, it's coming up in a couple of weeks, and today we're going to be talking about some of the play-in teams at like the bottom of there, the ones that we don't anticipate to actually make it. So, Ethan, before we get going, i got to ask you, how do you feel about the play-in? I think it's been a pretty good concept. I think it's being tested pretty thoroughly by a team like the Lakers, a team that should um, not be in the situation if we're healthy, etc., etc., so, like, I think it's going to be put to the test a little bit of, like, well, if, like, the Lakers, like, kind of catch a bad break. I mean, you can look at the positive side. Is they get pushed out of the playoffs when they're not a good team, you know. But also, like, if LeBron misses the playoffs, that's not what you want for the league, for viewership. Or, like, honestly, you want to see the Lakers theoretically playing in, in, into the playoffs. And you, the one-slash-two-game the one two game sample size of this does not, does not bode well for the strength of a team fully being represented um but i think it's the bigger effect it's having and i love is that teams are competitive right now and i think basketball even in this goofy season where there's a lot of blowouts and a lot of uncompetitive basketball i think we're seeing a lot of teams like still staying after it uh staying engaged staying involved uh more so than we've seen in the past and this is you know like we're looking at teams like the spurs who like, they're not opposed to tanking a little bit at the end of a season. Like, we saw what they did for Tim Duncan. Um, this is a team that could be, like, you know, nosediving down down the standings if they if they chose to try to try to try to catch you down there and try to bump in the top five. But this team's like, oh, you know what? We can win two games to make it in the playoffs. Why not? And especially when you're talking about a team with young players, it's great to get playoff experience. And even if it's only for one game, I think the playoff atmosphere of the play-in is going to be good for any team that gets to do it. I 100% agree with that. Like, I feel as though with, you know, and, and before this, you have some teams and, you know, you're you're the 9 seed, you're, you're the 10 seed, and, and at that point it was like, ah, well, do we really want to go and, and push in to just get destroyed by a high-level competition in in the playoffs? Well, well, now this kind of sets up a more even, one would say, one would think, more even kind of playoff matchup environment for your team, right? You get to play against a semi-like, you know, type team. I mean, there are, you know, Boston, right now Boston's the seventh seed and the Lakers are the seventh seed at West. Like, those are two teams that we would anticipate to be pretty, pretty good. But at the, at the same time, you're going to be playing against, I mean, we got two Eastern, two Western Conference teams. These two teams, the teams that end up in these spots are going to play each other in that first one. And then they'll get the opportunity to play whoever loses for the seven eight game. So I, I I like it because it provides team those young teams with that kind of matchup. And I mean you saw some of the teams we talked about last week, right? You know your uh, Chicago's, Toronto's. Like Toronto might think that they're a good enough team if they can sneak in to make life difficult. Like who wants to see Toronto and what they do defensively? I know this season's been awful for them, but you know you could sneak in the Pelicans. Right, are a little bit on the outside looking in, but if they can sneak in, you've got Zion and and things could get interesting. Those teams want to do it. And guess what? If you lose, well, you're still in the lottery. And you can, you know, you can you can go in and hopefully experience some luck. 
I think there's also some evidence of this atmosphere being beneficial. I, I looked at the Suns last year in the bubble. Now, the bubble was an extended version of like what a play-in is because you know they, they played the eight games or whatever. But the Suns went to a playoff-level environment, played really well, like on, dominated their time there, won all their games. And I know they added Chris Paul, but I still think that that bubble experience for the Suns is one of the biggest reasons that all those young players this year were able to continue their growth. Now, like they didn't have the extended bubble run where I think some of the fatigue and you know blah 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 of like playing in a new time frame. I don't think the negative effects hit there. But like I look at the teams that played in the bubble, and I think most of their young players took some benefits from playing in like what seemed like a playoff atmosphere um, in terms of competition level uh, for an extended period of time. This will only be potentially one game, but I, I still think there's that benefit we mentioned to be gained here. Yeah. The only kind of gripe you, you hear griping from the teams that find their way into the seventh seat, but um, you, you expect that, you know, the, you know, Mavericks and, and, and now the Lakers and, uh, but at the same time, the only gripe that I feel is kind of semi-reasonable is just the fact that we are, we, this, this does create more competition during a stretch where there really wouldn't be much a competition in, in, in anything, right? Cause you're really trying to like this demarcation between six and seven, right? And this demarcation between 10 and 11. So there's that extra, uh, competition there, but in a 72 game season where, because of COVID, sometimes you have games that are all smashed together, and and in, we have an injury laden season, and all, all that's like it's it's a little bit mo- much maybe for this seventy two game season where it's it's I feel like it's going to be likely that when you get there, there's going to be a team that is just completely unhealthy. You know, it, again, like the Lakers, if they show up, LeBron's come back from an ankle, tweaks it again, and now we don't see now we don't see the Lakers so like. There, that's a little bit tough with on that aspect just because of the nature of this season. But I think overall, like, I think it's helpful. I think there should be a one other thing to consider with this play in, and it I don't think it's coming to fruition right now because they're all they are all kind of bunched up. But we're we're seeing a little bit of a separation between these nine, ten, and eight seeds now in the East, if I'm not mistaken. And I think there should be like. Uh, I don't know what the number would be, but like a cutoff. Like I think about the like how much stronger, um, like let's say six or eight, uh, seven, is sometimes over the eight seed, and like the seven seed should be able to if they're snug enough to the six seed, and there's like let's say there's a five game gap between them and the eight. I would like to see a, a scenario where they don't have to be involved in that, because like I, I think that's a, I think that would be a negative impact of like a really good regular season when we're talking about a more normal regular season is that, Oh, I finished five games above the eight seed, but I still have to prove it one more time like that. That's where I would like to see maybe some, you know, quote unquote bylaws to kind of avoid those situations. There's a different way for the play in to go. Yeah. I mean, sure. At the same time, Hey, you're better beat them, beat them. Show it one more time. Like that, take care, take care of business. And, and that, that, that's, that's the, that's comments, also but, fair. That's also but, fair. Like I'm, I'm not going to um, argue that point. I just, I just would think about, especially when we're talking about a more normal money season, I'm thinking about teams like, what was it? Um, there's there's always a team every year that a great player goes down in like the last week of the season, and they might not be better anymore. And I would feel a little annoyed if I was like a front office of a team 
or especially like you know the general manager who has to take into account how much money everyone's making like and oh we just lost our playoff games now because let's say um let's say jimmy butler got hurt and now we're in the playing game and bam Adebayo gets hurt in game one in, in the in the game and no, we, we were so much better than them all season now we're losing home playoff games for no reason like it it's not a great reason to avoid that, but I can understand the frustration of it. Yeah. Speaking of frustration, as we get into these bottom play-in teams, we have nowhere else to start but with the frustrated Indiana Pacers. 31 and 36 is where they stand. And, it, you know, they've had some success, and they've kind of been this kind of middling playoff team for a number of years. And it's uh, Elkin's not joining us here, so we're going to try to do our best uh, with with this situation, he's more he's more cued in, uh, but seems like there's like the boat's rocking there, Ethan. Yeah, no, it's I I've had a like, hard time kind of piecing it all together because I remember early in the season that Nate Bjorkren was getting a lot of praise. Like we were wondering, is Nate Bjorkren the better coach compared to Nick Nurse because the Raptors started so poorly, and then Nate, maybe Nate Bjorkren was the reason that it all worked out so well for the Raptors in in recent memory. Um, I, I'd say we can kind of put that a little bit to bed because um, he's having a horrible time on, uh, working with personalities, uh, not just with players, but also the coaching staff. They are not getting along, Richard. It's, I mean, the Bleacher Report art- article came out and there have been some kind of edits to that where like it seems like maybe their sourcing wasn't like for some tiny aspects. But guess what? The whole, the whole general nature of the story is it's there. Right, you've got you, you the idea that Nate Bjorkgren had you know, was kind of faking it to begin with, and you were only seeing kind of one side. And then over time, just the uh, the way that it shifted and how he's like lost respect within the locker room. And like I, I was a Pistons fan during the dark days where we had John Kuster and basically a riot, uh, you know, with personnel in, in, in our situation, and like Rip Hamilton, the the, the end of his time there, and. How they like it, it got real, real bad. Well, it sounds like this, and obviously, winning can cure all, but I mean, it, it's a little bit tough because this is the second cut co- coaching situation in the central division to first year go down in flames, right? Cleveland had it, Cleveland had it last year, and now Indiana has it this year. And you wonder, it's like, well, I mean, maybe the Detroit Pistons have the second best coaching situation in the whole central division just based off of how bad things are. And even Coach Bud is also like, if things go poorly there, maybe he gets fired this year. I don't know. I don't know. But the, the, po- the point is, it's tough in Indiana right now. Um, there have been some good things, some bad things, just a really up and down season for for them this year. Well, and we say up and down, but let's let's r- run through this real quick. The offensive rating of this team is 15th in the league at you know 112.1. Defensive rating is 16th in the league at 112.4. So this is exactly what they are right now. We are in the mediocre teams, Richard, and that's where they rank: 15th and 16th. They're right there in the middle. Um, it's also important to note that T.J. Warren has not played this season. Malcolm Brogdon's had injury problems. Victor Oladipo early in the season was injury prone. Uh, Karis LeVert, when traded for, was not able to play because of his uh, the cancerous tumor thing he, they found on him. Thank goodness that they, they did. And and then from there, like, uh, Miles Turner's been missing games. He was a depo- uh, defensive player of the year candidate early in the season with how, how well he was protecting the rim, moving his feet even on the perimeter. This team has had a lot of injury problems. And when we're talking about, like, the coaching 
peril that they've put themselves in. I, I, I will I honestly ref, refuse to ignore that aspect of it when we're talking about how things can fall apart for a team. Yeah. I mean, of course, the personnel being healthy, but like, at the same time, you've got other teams that have been rightly destroyed uh, with, with COVID protocols, with injuries and everything. Like, so, you know, there are reasons, but reasons for things, but we got to be careful, you know, not to make excuses because all these other teams are going through some similar things. And well, it is true. I, I, I will, I will make the, the, this delineation of like, you know, the, the heat went through a lot of injury problems and COVID problems this year and also played so deep into the bubble. that that's probably a reason that it happened. Um, but they have what we would know as an incredible organization and a coach that's been there and knows exactly what he's doing in terms of if he makes a decision, he knows he's not getting second guessed at least by publicly. Whereas Nate Bjorken isn't his first time through this, like all those added stressors and then also not having it. Like I think any first year coach should get a little bit of a more benefit of the doubt initially. And then I guess if you prove otherwise, like maybe Nate Bjorken is doing right now, that's when we can give you some more criticisms. But like, I would say most first-year coaches this year, you should give them a pretty big pass because it's a goofy, goofy year. I mean, I guess, but at the same time, like, you're an NBA coach. And so if if you're getting hired, I mean, and this process goes to, you know, management there as well because it's coming on, hey, he was buddies with, with people in, in that front office and – uh, you know, known for 20-some years, 25 years or something like that. And it came down to, like, I think Mike D'Antoni and and him. And then they decided to go with him. And so, like, you you did this. You asked for it. You could have gone with the experienced guy knowing and thinking of, you know, all this situation. But, you know, you, you decided to do this. So it's it's tough. And we'll see. It could be it could be the end of Nate Bjorkren after this year. It could be the end of that uh, Pacers front office, and it could be the end of. I mean, it probably won't be the end of just the medium Pacers uh, because this is just who they've been for a while. So we'll, we'll we'll see how it goes. Let's get to talking about some of their core players, and uh, which is again a little bit tough because if they do have owner, um, not ownership change, but if they have management management change then maybe things get shifted around. But these are the pieces that they have, at least right now. Malcolm Brogdon uh, started off real well. Uh, same thing with Miles Turner. You know, both those guys, uh, you know, got off to fiery starts to Monis Sabonis, right? All-star level guy. Uh, Karis LeVert, you got him uh, for, you know, after after trading away Victor Oladipo. So that, that's helpful. TJ Warren, question mark. Like, you know, don't know how much he is involved in their future plans. But... You know, you begin talking and thinking about the guys who are, you know, he's not expiring after this year. So, you know, maybe he's still in their plans. And then we've got, I mean, it was kind of tough. And with a lot of, the, with I think three out of the four of these teams that we're going to talk about today, it ended up being tough to demark where the core ended and like the just, you know, superfluous players began. It, just, it, was, it was tough because it seems more like a continuum rather than a clear demarcation. Uh, but you know, you've got Gogo Batatse. Well, is, is he part of the core? He's young. He's a first round pick. What about Aaron Holiday? Uh, you know, still there. What, what about, um, you know, Edmund Sumner who just destroys the Pistons every time they play. Uh, so, you know, is Doug McDermott 
going to be part? Like, are they going to re-sign him? What about T.J. McConnell having a phenomenal year? Like, are are they going to re-sign those guys and those guys be part of the you know next iteration of the? So who knows? It's kind of a weird situation. Um, what are your thoughts on the core players of the, of the Pacers? No, I, I echo I echo the thoughts of it's it's difficult to find the delineation mark, and I really have a hard time. Even though I know he is part of the core, I have a hard time with Karis LeVert because he, while there's so much to like about his game, he's not a particularly efficient player. And I know like he's you know he's had he's had missed time this year and and what and whatnot, but. I have a hard time with him because he's not a good enough shooter. Like he he does he does take a lot of his shots off the dribble, so that, you know there's a little bit more of a value add if he's str- like struggling there versus struggling on catch and shoots. But man, Karis Levert's just not impressed me much this season. And honestly, like as much as you know, I I like the the aesthetics of his game. Statistically, he's never really impressed me either. It's just a bunch of a volume numbers. And I, I wonder if, you know, making the transition to Karis LeVert as a, a figure piece of this, this team is going to end up, like, if, if he's just going to end up signing somewhere else when his contract expires because they're not going to value him high enough as much as he might think. And some other team's going to be like, yes, we can still fix him. We still think he's good. I, I'm actually of the camp that I'm not, I'm not investing in Karis LeVert um, at the, anymore in this, in this stage. But he's gonna be—he's—he's like, he's there now. He's gonna be there for at least another year. But I'm—I can say I'm a—I'm uh, not here for it. We'll see. I know the Pistons are gonna have a lot of cap space, so I want to not uh, slander anyone who might—who the Pistons might throw throw dollar signs at. So, uh, bad contracts. They really don't have any. It's kind of—it's—I uh, mean, other than Nate Bjorkren, they—they—they they, they really don't have uh, anyone, any player on the books that you look and say, well, that's unreasonable, right? You know, Malcolm Brogdon making uh, a hair over $20 million a year for the next two years. He's been playing well. It's been good. Uh, Miles Turner making $18 million per year over the next two years. So, okay, I mean, he was pretty good. I think if you could trade him and teams would throw assets at you because, you know, of, of how well he's played. He was a defensive of the year candidate early on before, before injuries. Um, you know, Demonis Sabonis making about twenty million. So like they got a lot of these kind of middling ones. You know, Karis LeVert, eighteen million dollars a year. And, and so you've got a lot of these contracts, but no one is is a bad contract. So um, it, it's interesting because you know they are they've got one hundred twenty one million dollars um, allotted for next year. They have decisions to make on Doug McDermott and T.J. McConnell. You know both of which would probably command contracts equal to or maybe slightly greater than what they made this year, and that would begin pushing the Pacers in or close to the tax. Um, they got their own first-round pick, so so they're going to be in an interesting financial situation, at least for this year. Um, and then, you know, it drops down to $106 million next year, and then all the way down to 30 once those main contracts come off the books. So it they're not in the best financial situation, but... There's, I, it's t- again tough to point to a bad contract that's prohibiting, you know, that's forcing them into that spot. Yeah, I, I think there's just some player upgrades that they, need. I, I would think they'd be doing better to consolidate a couple of these assets for a better player. I wonder if Karis LeVert still classifies enough as a young player to be movable like that. That's what I don't know, um, in terms of how the rest of the league views him. But that's what I'd be looking to do is try to bring in someone potentially that 
is is already a little bit established to pair with Malcolm Brogdon and Turner and then also Sabonis because I, I don't look at Warren as a long-term asset for this team, especially if Bjorkman's around. You, you, the rumors there that they're not in on the best of terms. And I, I think you, like guys like if you re-sign a guy like TJ McConnell, he's a good regular season player, but I really wonder with his shooting faults if he can be part of a contributing team in, in the playoffs. This this team has has they remind me a lot of the Orlando Magic of years of of recent years where they got a lot of solid NBA players, but they don't really have that one. And I, without falling apart with a tank or making a trade for a little bit of a better player, I I don't see how they get there, and it makes me nervous because I, I I look at Sabonis as a floor a floor raiser, but he doesn't push the ceiling up very much. Uh, I mean. You mentioned the draft as the as one of the avenues. Well, they've got like a billion second round picks incoming. Unfortunately, they're not very good. Like this year, they've got Milwaukee's and Utah's second round picks. Cool, that's picks in the late fifties. Uh, maybe maybe the sixtieth pick of the draft. Um, you've got uh, next year's Miami second round pick, uh, which does you know probably not the top half of the second round. You get the worst of, in 2023, the worst of Houston, Dallas, Miami. One of those teams is going to be pretty good, probably. So that's tough. Uh, and also the worst of Cleveland or Utah in 2024. 20, Miami's 2025 second. Miami's 2026 second. Like, they don't have a good second-round pick incoming, I don't think. So that's – they're not really getting much. They just got a bunch of random picks that they can maybe package together in, in weird trades that, again, really aren't going to move the needle at all. Uh, outgoing, got a weird thing. Their second-round pick this year um, is 45 to 60 protected uh, for this year Ooh. and next year. Then it becomes – yeah, it's, it, come on. Why, why are we talking about protections with second-round picks? Um, especially this one. It's so weird. I, so, selfishly, we hope that they don't make the playoffs this year because if they do, then the pick's not going to convey, and then we got to do that, do it all over again next year. So we hope selfishly that the Pacers miss the playoffs. Sorry, Elkin. Uh, just for the fact that this pick will convey this year, um, and then then their 2022 second round pick that's also scheduled to go out that can also then be be going out, and then they also are out of their 2025 and 2027. Seconds. So just a bunch of seconds moving around in and out, and um, but it's it's not as if it's great, uh, great value. Not like a good second round pick that's coming in um, over the next few years. So, so we're telling ourselves that the Pacers are in a, a tough spot where it's hard to get a free agent. It's hard to be bad enough to get get a good draft pick. Hmm. Yeah, you, you, I mean, you just need you need you need lottery luck. And uh, this team has, for a while, just been the definition of relative, you know, bordering the line of competence slash mediocreness. Right, you know, right in that bottom half. I mean, you know, last year they were the four seed. So, but you know, again, what do you what do you have to show for it? Um, and that, that's that's the to top part of the here. heat's what you have to show for it. Yeah, yeah I was. Yeah. So uh, that's the pace of the situation. Seems tough. Sorry, Elkin. Um, hope hope it gets better. Uh, we'll see. The Washington Wizards. Next. They are 32 and 36. Their core players are Bradley Beal, uh, Russell Westbrook, Daniel Gafford, apparently. He's been playing, Amen. Been, Love that. 
bed, bed, bed playing off the charts. It's being there. Uh, Danny Avdia uh, and Rui Hachimura. Those seem to be their guys. It's you. I would also add, just based off of the years, Davis Bertans, uh, because he's going to be there for a little while, right? They they, they dropped they dropped the bag for him. We'll talk that. We'll be talking about that soon. Um, and Thomas Bryant's a question mark for me. It's him coming off the ACL. He's got one more year all off. He was their starting center. Like he was. So it, who, who knows going by other than that, it's just really a bunch of just guys that are on either expiring or, you know, cheap, cheap rookie deals and minimum contracts. So I, I personally would not include Thomas Bryant because I think Daniel Gafford shows that you can find a really good role-playing center with uh, with pretty minimal effort. Like, Dan, like, Daniel Gafford, like, you know, we, we've talked about before. He's a guy I like. like. You know, I just like the cut of his jib. He's like, he's that, you know, slightly undersized, um, really good a- athlete kind of player, which I, I have some love for. Um, you know, I, I was I think I was comping him to, like, a Richard Holmes when I first saw him, saw him play. And Richard Holmes now is, you know, the best floater shooter in the league, basically. So that's Apparently. A fun, that's a fun time. So I, I, I look at Thomas Bryant. You know, he's bad at defense, and that that can't be, they can't be overlooked when we're talking, doing this comparison shopping. And Daryl Gafford, you know, is one of the one of the guys who will go up and try to block everything, and you know that can get you out of position here, here and there. But it's it's something that I look at as a positive more so than a negative, um, at least at this stage. The, the theory behind all of this to begin with, when, when they make the Westbrook trade is, well, Westbrook's kind of a non-shooter from the outside, right? You're not, not shooting very well, and so you'd like to. I mean, in Houston, he was the best when you had the uh, spacing around him. Also, the other part of that was the switchability defensively. Um, and, you know, that way he didn't have to fight over, through, you know, through screens. And, uh, you know, obviously you had the James Harden kind of that as well for him. And so... The idea, the theory was, well, let's go ahead and have Bradley Beal. We got Thomas Bryant, Davis Bertans, and then we'll just cycle in, you know, Rui, Denny, and, uh, you know, whoever else we had as shooters to keep the floor spaced for Russell Westbrook. In fact, that was the theory behind it. He goes down and, you know, they, they get walloped by, by, you know, COVID and get shut down. And uh, now they're making their run back. And so it's... You're right. Perhaps, you know, Gafford begins to make him uh, a little bit expendable. We were talking about, and I think it was one of the worst-kept secrets, that they wanted Onyeka Okongwu in the draft, right? So that probably doesn't make you feel as um, no, as good about Thomas Bryant long-term in, in this team's uh, long-term future. Coming off the injury, we'll, we'll have to kind of see, see what happens there. But th- unfortunately... This team is not in a great situation cap-wise, right? No, they are not. No, they are not. They, um, I mean, basically with the bad contracts of Russell Westbrook being, you know, $45 million over the next couple of years and four more years of $65 million of Bertans, bit of an overpay, um, but, you know, he is an elite shooter. At least when he's not uh, coming back from being stuck in Latvia without any gyms to shoot in, apparently. Um, that we're looking at their 20 next year's, uh, books, it's 20, 128 million on the books the following year, uh, 2022, 23, 122, and then everything falls off in 23, 24, and they're down to 33 million. But you know, the, 
that that's not including you know a Bradley Beal another you know extension which who knows what he's going to do but he very well might sign another another Washington Wizards extension. We're talking about um, like Ru- Rui and Denny that those guys won't be up yet, but there'll be there'll be new draft picks on here, and I would I'm going to guess a little bit of the higher um, value in their contract status. I, Richard, I don't I just don't like where this team's at. Um, I'm frustrated by almost everything about this team. Russell Westbrook, we know my my qualms with him and the way he plays and like triple doubles, yada yada. Like we we know I'm not a, a stand for Russell Westbrook in the slightest. Um, Bradley Beal honestly frustrates me because he, he while he's getting better and he's getting more crafty and he's he just dominates how well he can get to his shot. His shooting, he's he's gotten worse at shooting, and I I know that is he's probably taking more difficult attempts and with his volume increasing, but that's still a problem. You can't, you can't just, you can't go from a 40% three point shooter to 35 over the last three seasons and mean, be stoked about your three point shooting prowess. Like that's something that I have my concerns with. I, like I said, I'm just not stoked about anything that this, this team does other than Daniel Gafford, who I love and Denny Avdia, who I find um, interesting to say the least. With, with Westbrook, um, you know, I, I, the, the tough part is you go in and you trade for him, and you you send out, you know, we'll talk about protected picks in a little bit. You send out first round pick to bring him in uh, and send John Wall out. You you've got him again. You, you're right up against a tax. You you are at a hundred and twenty eight million dollars tax at one thirty six ish, and you've got a couple people you like. On the books, you know, Robin Lopez is not coming back. Ish Smith's not going to come back. Isaac Isaac Banga is a restricted free agent. Raul Neto, right? So Alex Lent. So like we've got a lot of people who are not coming back. And with their first round pick, whatever whatever pick that they're gonna have, like gonna have and money allotted to that, like they're already up against it. So they're gonna just be filling out the rest of this roster with minimum guys. And if you're filling out the rest of this roster with minimum guys, there's not really a way for you to get a whole lot better. And you're right to be concerned about Bradley Beal's. I mean, he's going for the for the shooting title. Like that. That's they're in the play-in game. They they're probably pretty comfortably, I think, going to make the play-in game at least. And if you can, like, it just seems as though their goals are a little bit different, and that stems from ownership. And it's just it's just tough to be up against it. Um, with a uh, with a team like this, and and not really have any avenues uh, for for improvement. And I, I know I've previously really stand Bradley Beal and what I want him to be as a player. Like I've said, like I didn't want the James Harden trade because I wanted the Bradley Beal trade for the Heat when we we're talking about there, um, like what like trying to keep a hold of whatever assets they had left. And I I'm I'm at the point where I'm like, well, that was a mistake. That was a mistake to think that at all. And and it's because. James Harden has been shooting, you know, that high, that percentage from three. I know his shot chart is more difficult than Bradley Beal's, and it's just like that's, I don't know, it's just really frustrating me that I haven't seen him curl that percentage back up, even playing now with, you know, what Russell Westbrook, who you know is statistically one of the best th- open three-point shooting creators that you have, and it's like almost like John Wall was at least throwing the passes a little bit more accurately, so you could just catch and shoot a little bit better. Which that's there's my evidence for John Wall being um. Elite at what he at, at what he did before. Uh... Yeah, three three years ago, whatever whatever that was. Um, uh, 
hey, there, there's a certain there, there's a specific thing where John Wall was still healthy and Bradley Beal was shooting a good percentage from three. There's there's a very strong corollary there. Draft picks incoming. They got basically none. They're gonna get, you know, they got twenty twenty two second round pick, um, which, uh, you know, whichever one's best. I think between um, Chicago, Detroit, and the Lakers, um, they're going to have a twenty twenty three Chicago second and a twenty twenty four Memphis second. Cool. Outgoing. Their second round pick this year gone. Next year gone. Twenty twenty three. Their first round pick, this is the Russell Westbrook um, first round pick, top, you know, 14 lottery protected, then goes on to top 12 protected, then top 10, then top 8, then it becomes two seconds. So if they're extra bad uh, from 2023 through like 2026 or 7, like then, you know, it's, I guess, turns into two seconds. That's fine, but that probably just means bad news for the franchise overall. And then the 2023 second round pick. Uh, they've got that going out too. So, it, it, not a great situation in Washington long term. Um, anything else about this about this Wizards team? No, I'm telling you, man, I have a hard time getting excited about this team in almost any regard. It's frustration with Bradley Beal. Obviously, I like Denny. I like Daniel Gafford. I, I I still have a soft spot for Rui as well. Um, but it's really hard for me to get excited about young players who do not benefit very much from playing with a quote-unquote superstar like Russell Westbrook. He'll get them some points, undoubtedly. He definitely sets up points. But we don't – I really think Russell Westbrook, and this is – you know, I'm, I'm going to level into him one more time. Russell Westbrook is one of the worst players to play with if you're trying to develop young talent. And I will 100% cite the lack of development of all the OKC players in years prior and then what we're seeing now that he's not been there for two years and how young players are flourishing um, in what I would think is a really good organization, even if it's, you know, stuck in a, a bad spot in OKC. Like it's, Russell Westbrook's a great player, Hall of Famer, et cetera, et cetera, but he monopolizes everything you do as a team so much that you have one option, and it's play Rust Ball. And Rust Ball is marginally effective all right well the those are our east bottom play-in teams uh they you know they sit above chicago by about three three and a half games so again these this is probably what it's going to be um as far as the eastern conference play-in let's get to the western uh uh, play-in teams and the western play-in teams a little bit closer um san antonio spurs where we're going next they have a two-game lead over the Pelicans, three-game lead over Sacramento. Again, not that many games left to play. Uh, Spurs sitting 32-35. and And another one of these teams uh, that it's, it was a little bit difficult to figure out where do their core players um, end and, and where do those next guys kind of begin. Like it's, it's a continuum rather than clear demarcations. And we're not even talking about, uh, you know, DeMar DeRozan or Rudy Gay. Patty Mills. Yeah, we're not talking about their old vets that theoretically still are good NBA players and can and can contribute. All three of those guys have had their moments this season where they're still very important players for what the Spurs need to do to win games on a regular basis. DeMar DeRozan is actually, like, I know he's getting older and his volume's going down, but I think he's a better player than he was five years ago. Like, maybe he can't dunk through people like they he could previously, but he's, he's still shooting at a very, the same efficiencies from the mid-range, and he's passing better and more. 
And defensively, he's always been bad, so it doesn't matter that he's got, if he's gotten a little bit worse. He's still, like, got the 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six frame, so he's still, like, just not, like, a turnstile just because he's, you know, he takes up enough space on the court. Like, I, I'm in the camp that DeMar DeRozan, um, his volume's going down, but he's just as good a player, if not slightly better, because of that improved passing ability. But anyway, to the core players, let's run through them real quick, Richard. Deontay Murray, Jakob Pertl. Devin Vassell, Derek White, Lonnie Walker, Keldon Johnson, Trey Jones, and Lucas Simonic. We put up there as a question mark. He was a first-round pick, I think, 21st overall uh, two years ago. Um, he's played a little bit. I've, I haven't. He hasn't looked like out of place out there when I've seen him on the court. Um, but he also hasn't looked particularly good. So I'm not sure um, how they view him long term. But I think the the story of the season, honestly, was Keldon Johnson. How he kind of burst onto the scene this year after spending most year last year in the uh, G League. Uh, he he really showed a lot of development with his his jump shot and the the like couple dribble drive just ability to flush on people. I do not remember him looking that type of athletic playing at Kentucky. I thought of him more of a ground bound, you know, pretty like pretty stocky defensive player. But he he showed a lot more explosion um, after spending a year in the NBA. I don't know if that's a bad eye on me or if that's just an NBA development thing. Um, I remember I liked him coming out. I the Pistons had uh you know late late picks and I was hoping like they had the Bucks pick that year. Like I was really hoping. Oh, I, I hope Keldon Johnson slides. It would be be fun fun to get him. And then he gets picked you know a little bit before, and so it ends up not coming to fruition. You know I liked him. Um, but it, it's nice to see him being able to you know, d- d- develop what he has over in San Antonio. Uh, they've done a good job with their with their guard development there. Like, all, the, the thing with all these guys is, okay, Deontay Murray, guard of the cell, you know, guard wing, shoot, shooting guard probably. Uh, you know, Derek White there, Lonnie Walker, Kelvin Johnson, Trey Jones. Like, all these guys are guard except for Jakob Pertl and Lucas Monik. And so they've got to kind of figure the rest of that out. But they got a lot of pieces. And if you find, if you figure out, okay, these are the ones that matter to us, maybe you can begin to package you know some of the other ones in in trade, um, if if you needed to, uh, so it's it's interesting. They've kind of steered a little more into this guard centric thing. The problem is again they don't have a number one guy. They don't. There it's a lot of probably secondary tertiary you know pieces uh, that you know. It's fine. I mean, Jakob been able to anchor the defense there. Awesome. But, uh, you know, long-term, they've got to figure a little bit out. And this offseason, they're going to have to figure out what to do because DeMar DeRozan, pretty gay. Like we mentioned, Patty Mills coming off the books. They have $62 million a lot of this year. So they got space. One of the, one of the teams with a lot of space, unfortunately, not a whole lot of places to throw it. So you wonder, you know, well, do you just – decide let's go ahead and just re-up at about the same money for all these guys for just one more year just go ahead and give them one year contracts uh you know what do you do with this they don't really have bad contracts Derek White's the only one that you really could argue four years 68 million dollars left but guess what you're getting him through his prime and it's not like it's prohibiting you from going out to signing anybody else like you've got the space so I don't know if I would really consider that even a bad contract because they're in this playoff play-in discussion, and they're gonna have cap space. So, aside from storylines of like picks that you know are lightly protected, 
like you know like say the, the wolves who lose uh lose their pick if it's like number four you know and that'd be pretty incredible for golden state i think this is the team i would love to see move up in the lottery the most because i want them to have like a really good player i i because i that's what they need like and it's, it's it's the only thing that's holding them back. I, I also am looking at a funny thing here, Richard. I'm look I'm on Basketball Reference, just looking at the roster, and Demar Derozan is listed as a power forward on this team. Oh yeah, he basically has played power forward minutes. Oh, I understand. Like Kelvin Johnson is a lot of times guarding, like the power forward as well. But it it, it just cracks me up to see how his his career has changed because he's still 100% a shooting guard in terms of offensive role. But like he like defensively because he does have some struggles, he's taking whoever the worst of the wings, uh, like the forwards are, small forward or or power forward. Um, it's just kind of funny to see it actually come to fruition on like you know an NBA you know basketball reference site that that's how they're listing him now. I mean, if you're playing with Deontay Murray, Derek White, and Keldon Johnson, and Jakob Pertl, guess what? You're the de facto power forward because you, those other guys are. Ex- I mean, yeah, just based off of that, and so it's, you know, and, and guess what? When it's not them, it's Lonnie Walker. When after Lamarcus Aldridge went down, it's like he's the guy, and it, he's the guy that's playing the four, and it's you know worked out relatively okay. Yeah, it, yeah, it works out it's well. Been fine. Time. The, the the offense of this team is is, is kind of like what can hold it hold it up a little bit. Um, I mean that that's that. Let's revisit that real quick. Um, that's actually not true at all. <laughs> I I think it's true, but it's not. It's like I, I was. Remember when we had like our predictions? Yes. Yeah, like they'd our. Be a top, I mean, they'd be a top ten offense, and they are a twenty first offense. So that was a little. I wrong. feel like we. I feel like we got even a little more like. I feel like they were pretty high last year for offense. Like, ah, Ethan, you, you got to go a little more bold than that because that's what they were last year. Then, like, I think you said like top six or something. I think we, I, th- I think, I think I forced your hand to say that, that was a our predictions were we, we were we were trying to come up with something that didn't work out very well. Don't don't listen to that podcast. Ignore that. That's a that was a bad one. The thing is, I still think they're a good offense. What, what, what's wrong with my eyes? Like, what, what, what's causing me to believe that this team is a good offense when they're 21st in the league? Is it because everyone else's offense is just that much better now? That, that, that this is the new NBA? Even good offense is bad offense? Oh, I mean, this this year has really put, I mean, offenses have been way more efficient. And it's just, it's the way that it's been. You know, people are... Wondering what are the factors that go into that, and um, the the thing is, this is I would assume that this is probably the least heliocentric, one of the least heliocentric offenses in the league, just based off of there not really being one guy, and the heliocentrism of NBA offenses just to, you know allow for you to be able to create more efficient, um, more efficient shots for people. If you've got a guy who's really, really good and can set people up and do all that stuff, like, you know, you're going to find your way to efficient offense. And perhaps this is a team that's very good at what they do, but lacking that heliocentrism, like, maybe there's a little bit of a cap on them. Ugh, I, 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 maybe, maybe, maybe that's where I'm I'm falling in love with them is that they, they do move the ball and pass the ball and they're just, they're just not good enough. But I enjoy that basketball more. Um. Easy to discuss draft picks incoming and outcoming. They have no draft picks incoming, and they're only losing their 2022 second. We love you, San Antonio. Keep keep not making those trades. Or if you do, keep not protecting picks. We love it. We love it here on the Hero Ball Podcast. I, I really I really hope they can land someone good. I, I'd, be, I'd be stoked if they get any of the top 
I, I, I'm thinking of Cade specifically, but I, oh, I mean, I yes. also am thinking Evan Evan Mobley. I would like Evan Mobley. Put push push Jake Puddle out of the way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it, the tough part is that they're gonna get down there and they're gonna pick Jalen Suggs, and it's gonna be like, yeah, uh, all the guards, all the guards. I mean, honestly, they they need like a Kaminga or a. I mean, like. Problem is, if they get top, if you got to be top four to move up. And Kaminga's that is, I think, pretty solidly number five at at this current stage. But at the end of the day, I, I I like I like where the Spurs are at. They they're a team that even if they're not very good in the grand scope of the league, they're a team that is enjoying basketball to watch, in my personal opinion. Similarly to the next team, the Memphis Grizzlies. Yeah, basically one of our one of our favorites uh, with with how they've handled the draft in recent years and just. Uh, draft Twitter's favorite team, and it, it's been great. They are sitting at 500, 34 and 34. Um, and, you know, they are just a hair, a uh, half a game behind the Golden State Warriors for the eight seed uh, currently. So it's, they, I'm sure that they're trying to fight into, into that spot, but this has been an interesting season for them, with John Morant missing a bunch of time and them kind of staying afloat. But again, it's because you've got a lot of guys, just a lot of people on this team who it's, well, are they core guys? Are they, um, you know, who's kind of expendable here? And you can kind of go through the list and basically name their entire team, Ethan. Yeah. I did. I put John Moran, Jaron Jackson Jr., D- Brandon Clark, Desmond Payne, Xavier Tillman, D'Anthony Melton, Dylan Brooks, Kyle Anderson, Grayson Allen, and Jonas Valanciunas. Even though he's you know on the older side, he's turning 30 for the next next year's season. Um, he's been a great player for them. He he he's honestly what you look for, I think, in like a starting center. If you can't have your Joel Embiid's, Jokic's, etc. If you just need a guy to run out there and be a solid center, be able to take advantage of mismatches. Um, be able to hold up against some huge, massive behemoths. He's a guy who does well. He really does. And then if you need someone to come and take a, a little bit more of a speed advantage, you have Jaron Jackson Jr., Clark, and Tillman, who are all better suited for some, like, just hardcore rim rolling big. Like, they got such a nice look, Richard. I think I remember saying when they end up driving Xavier to, uh, Tillman, I was like, man, it's I love that three-big rotation, but they also have Jonas Valanciunas, who's not bad. Like, it's, it's just so good. It's just so good. It's such a good, fun team, Richard. Oh, it is. And I love me some slow-mo. Uh, he's been he's been really well. He's shooting really well this year as well in just moving at his own his own pace and making everyone else just, uh, you know, they just, they just don't know how to, how to handle it. Um, the, the only person that you didn't really mention on, that, that, that's on here that's a little bit like, uh, uh, do we really get to talk about this, is someone close to your heart, Justice Winslow. Um, and what's interesting is that Memphis has a team option for him next year. And I'll just say, it's not looked super well with him being injured and then coming back and just hasn't really played to the level that, that they need. And it's led to less Tyus Jones, led to the bench unit struggling a little, little bit more. And what do you make of this? Justice Winslow has been an awful offensive player. Dreadful. Nothing good about it. Not a single thing. He's not shooting free throws well. He doesn't get to the line. He's not good from two. He's not good from three. His pat, He's basically even on the assist-to-turnover ratio. 
there's nothing good about his offensive game right now, which is it's disheartening to see because he had he had a nice a nice run there um, when he was the starting point guard for the Heat for a brief moment in time. Um, the the reason I think you still pick up his team option is because I don't see I don't see the player out there in free agency that has as much upside that you can basically replace him with. That's the problem I see. Like I, maybe a DeMar DeRozan would be a good a good sub in because he could really carry a second unit for you. Um, but like I said, if the Spurs offered DeRozan some more money, I think he would just stay in San Antonio. Or if a, a closer team to a contender offered him more money and even a like you know maybe a bigger role, he would stay. He'd go there. Like I don't know how Memphis brings in someone with as much theoretical upside as Justice Winslow this coming off season. Who and I, I still think you know. He is a guy who can control a second unit here and there and can definitely guard everyone in the league, you know, barring, you know, Joel Embiid types. I think he's a guy you just, you you pick it up. If it's a bad contract, it's one more season and you you call it a day. It's something that you could package if you needed to. Like you got him, you got uh, Dylan Brooks, who, again, Dylan Brooks is probably the reason why I wouldn't want to go out and, and get a, you know, DeMar DeRozan. It's like you've already, I mean, you got Dylan Brooks. Maybe maybe you actually want to get rid of Dylan Brooks, but like he's kind of the guy who you can who can spend some time operating the bench units and. They don't compare DeMar DeRozan to Dylan Brooks. No, I'm just I'm just saying like <laughs> like guys who are gonna have the ball in their hands. And uh, I mean Dylan Brooks is definitely more of a I'm gonna this is my shot. I'm taking this shot. Um, I I, I don't want Dylan Brooks on this team. Personally, like if it's me, I, I want to actually I want to move him out. Um, and so, if you were able to find a way to, to you know, like let's bring back Justice Winslow for thirteen. Dylan Brooks is about twelve now. We got about we we could if you wanted to package that money together, you can begin to maybe trade for for someone who makes a little bit more money. Maybe someone who could have. Uh, a better impact who maybe finds themselves in kind of weird a weird situation the the tough part is that there's a bunch of teams out there the OKCs and um, uh, New Orleans Pelicans who just got the draft picks that you could you know supersede most most trades but the player that I would really like them to look at and it comes with um, some some hurt feelings from our counterpart who's not here to defend himself I would really like this team to try to get TJ Warren. I think TJ Warren is the, like I look at what slow-mo has been doing this year and like some of the success he's had. And I'm like, man, if TJ Warren was in the exact same spot as slow-mo, I would really like what he can do. And TJ Warren's the kind of player who he's bound. He's, you know, he's not bounced around too much, but you know, he got traded out of uh, Phoenix and he went to Indiana, had a really good run with Indiana there in the bubble. I look at him as a guy who can play the three-four for this team, alongside their, you know, some, I would say some superior defensive players, and he's a guy who can really go and get his own bucket, and also be a guy who makes catch-and-shoot shots when um, John Morant just drives and dishes. I think he's a kind of player you can acquire, but theoretically extend, or if you get him in his last year of his contract and you let him eat, he's a kind of guy who would, I think appreciate 
how well you've taken care of him and getting him to a spot where he can earn some money. And then you, you sign him to whatever, you know, like a $20 million a year deal. I, I just really like the idea of a closing lineup with John, that includes John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr. at the at the five and T.J. Warren playing the four. And then, you, you know, insert whatever shooters you have around here, whether it's DeAnthony Melton, uh, Desmond Bain, obviously, is in that closing lineup. Like, I just really like the idea of a T.J. Warren. And I think, you know, a Dylan Brooks or Justice Winslow could be part of a swap or Rooney um, this coming season, especially with if the Nate Bjorker news is accurate, it's been a rumor. Like I heard a rumor, I think it was, I can't remember what podcast it was, but it was, it was that TJ Warren opted to have his surgery after like hearing that Bjorken was hired and was like, I don't care to play this season. And if that's the case, if that, if that has any ounce of truth to it, he's not long for Indiana. No, I mean, I mean, here's the thing is again, he, he had experience playing with him. Didn't want it. Didn't like it. Uh, I mean, he had a foot injury, played a couple of games. But then needed to, you know, had the foot thing and said, well, we're just going to go ahead and get the surgery and we're going to rehab. We're going to take all all the time we need to rehab. And he's protecting the bag, too, because he, like I say, next year's the end of his contract. Mm-hmm. Be, be ready for that. And I'm, I'm telling you, I would I would love to, for him to come to this team. And and re- I think he would really shine next to Jaw. Like, I think Jaw, like for his, his only foible is shooting and TJ doesn't take anything off the table with that. I, I just, I really like that fit now that we, like I've thought about it today and I look at the contracts of Dylan Brooks and Justice Winslow and think, well, those are match. Those are pretty matchy. And maybe if you include a li- one of these younger depth pieces, like a Grayson Allen, I know they'd love Grayson Allen in Indiana. Maybe you can make something happen. Uh, I wish everyone could see Richard's face when I said that. Cause he, he I don't know if he knew it was coming, but it became obvious once once I said it. The 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 situation that Memphis finds themselves in is number one, they've got no bad contracts, none, right? It's a bunch of it's just the, the same thing as the Spurs, the same thing as the Pacers, as far as not really having bad contracts. Just a bunch of guys who kind of make medium money. Um, now, one hundred and three million dollars allotted. For this year, if they pick up Justice Winslow, if they don't, then they'll have ninety, right? They'll have about twenty some million dollars in space that they could they could figure out what to do with, right? The issue comes up with them is in a couple of years, John Morat is going to get the max extension, right? You're going to have to figure out what to do with Jaron Jackson Jr. a year before, right? His cap hold pretty big. And, and so you're running into the issue where pretty soon you're not going to have, you know, you, you mentioned TJ Warren, cool. But if you get TJ Warren and extend him, like, is he really the last guy? Because if he's not, like, you got to find a way to, like, to maximize your players and, and, and rosters before you go in and, and drop the bag. Uh, if, if you keep all these middling contracts and just kind of keep them going, then you could maybe, like we said, package them together for someone bigger, someone more. But uh, that's the thing that's on their radar looking long term, and it's it's we'll have to see how it goes. Right? They've got 103 million dollars allotted um, next year. We've got about 74 million the year after that, but that's really a lie because uh, you know the. The extension was going to have to kick in for Jaron Jackson Jr. 24 the year after. Also a lie because then the John Morant has to come. So it's it's interesting. 
we and we know we know growth is not linear. Look at Justice Winslow. That that that's a perfect example of growth of a player not being linear. It's up and down. It's crazy. It's sideways. It, it does all kinds of things. Um, the but the way I'm looking at Jaron Jackson Jr. as a as a as a prospect and how much I like him and the fact that he he should he can definitely start games at the four. I look at him a lot like Anthony Davis in terms of what his what his um role should be in ter- like he's not as good obviously but like he he he's, he starts at the four he closes games at the five if you're trying to make your best lineups i look at a guy like desmond bain who i think is just going to be a, a, a laser for his entire career it's going to be 12 years at least and he's just going to be a laser you, you throw him in there you can start him you can bring him off the bench he's just he's just a solid player his growth is someone i do look at as being pretty linear like a brandon clark who's taking a little bit of a step back offensively this year not quite the, the floater god he was but he's a guy who can play alongside um jaron jackson jr in a closing lineup and, and be that, that defensive force you know, like maybe he falls falls victim to some of the things winslow has because this offense isn't fully there but I like so many of these young players, Richard. I really think they just need another another guy who can really carry the offense when John Morant isn't. And that's why I feel really good about T.J. Warren. Because I saw what he did for Indiana in the bubble last year in, in the first series. Like He was really solid. And if John Morant was on there instead of, you know, a hurt Victor Oladipo or a Brogdon, I like how he rate, like John Morant raises the floor of a team better than those two players I just mentioned for the Indiana like I know T- I'm picking one player out of the the hundreds, but T.J. Warren's a guy who I look at as that's a guy who can buoy an offense when um when needed be. You know another way that you know things could happen where you, where you could find your guy. I just did two tankathon spins and and the Grizzlies jumped up to number two. It took Evan Mobley. So like it's well, if, if if I would like Jalen Green on this team. I've said that from the beginning of the season. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Even though that would that would be at the detriment of our our young our young man Desmond Bain a little bit because now he might be a, a off the bench guy. But I love Jalen Green on this team in terms of the, the alley oop. You know, this is like the Lonzo Ball uh, Zion. Uh, I love the uh, I love the thought of Jean Morant and Jalen Green tossing alley oops back and forth to each other. That sounds like a uh, some of the most fun basketball we could watch. Yeah, we'll have to see how it goes. Um, uh, draft picks. Uh... Incoming and outgoing. Outgoing. I'll just tell you that those first. Their second round this pick, second round pick this year, and the twenty in twenty twenty four, twenty twenty five are gone. Uh, coming in, they got Phoenix's second this year, which is going to be trash. Uh, they've got a situation where uh, we've got Portland's twenty twenty one second. That's eh, probably probably be fine. Uh, you know, I mean, just just fine. I mean, again, this team has been finding. Second round picks and, and mid round, you know, late first round picks that have been helpful. Uh, they got a Utah first round pick, but that's protected to the point that it's not conveying this year. Probably going to pay convey next year because it's top six protected. Uh, 2024 Golden State Warriors first round pick, top four protected, and then it becomes top one protected and then unprotected. So, like, they're in a good situation uh, as far as long term capital. They just got to figure out. Like we said before, who of those core players is actually part of the core? They've been working more with depth than with, uh, you know, top-level talent uh, outside of, uh, you know, Ja and hopefully Jaron Jackson Jr. So they got to figure that out. And just like all these teams, you get lucky in the in the, in the lottery. I mean, it ha- happened once for them. If it happens again, wow. Would be exciting for them. 
quiz, Richard. Don't don't pull up any more windows. Who is the highest paid player on Memphis the Memphis Grizzlies this season? Okay, I'm trying not to look at my other screen. Highest paid player on the Memphis Grizzlies this season. Is it somebody who is not actually on their roster? Correct. Correct. Is it Okay. Um Good radio Gorg- right now. Gorgie Jang? Is Gorgie Jang. Yeah. And and the fourth highest paid player is also not on the roster. Do you know who that is? Fourth highest paid player. Um, uh, let's see. Uh, I'll even give you, he's, tw- he's 12.6 million a year. He, he was traded there last season. Oh, 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 uh, oh, 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 yes. Um, our, our boy. Um, NBA Dion champion. Waiters. Dion Waiters. Dion Waiters. Fourth highest paid player on the books anyway. I'm sure he, I think he gets the money right, got the money right away with the buyout. Um, but Deion Waiters, fourth highest paid player on Memphis this season. Oh, beautiful. That, those will be expiring. So. I just I just I just found those that those two things funny. That they're they're like a chunk of their cap is tied up in guys who they said no no thanks actually. Monte Ellis getting paid by the Pacers, uh, two point two million dollars the next couple of years. So that's fun. That's that's not sixteen and twelve. No, it's not. It's not. I mean, they 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 don't stretch that. I mean, glad glad, glad Memphis didn't do any stretching. Um, but no, Memphis Memphis had a little bit of foresight. They're like, we can eat this. Our team's bad. It's just now now none of our players get bonuses if versus if we stretch them, they would probably get bonuses by hit not hitting the floor. Anyway, I I just wanted to mention that. I thought like that was a nice little fun pop quizzy thing to end the pod with. Yeah, feel like I feel like I did okay. Feel like I did okay. Yeah, you did well.